there's a highway telling me to go where I can. Such a long way, I don't even know where I am. Such a long way, long, long, long way. Gonna sit right to where I am, and it's easier to stay here. Think I know my way here. I'm gonna lay here all. This is the Light in the Attic podcast, and I'm Jackie Allen. For those of you who don't know, Light in the Attic is a Los Angeles and Seattle-based record label specializing in vinyl reissues and rare finds. Since we began in 2002, we've reissued music from the likes of Sixto Rodriguez, the Detroit-born folk sensation of Searching for Sugarman fame, the ever-groovy psych cowboy Lee Hazelwood, beloved Greenwich Village folk singer Karen Dalton, funk legend and original nasty gal Betty Davis, and the mysterious Louis Ballou, to name a few. This podcast is our way of telling you the stories behind our releases. Today we're talking about one of our most recent reissues, the soundtrack to a film called Lowdown. The film, released in 2014, tells the story of Joe Albany, a supremely talented yet obscure jazz pianist, and his beloved young daughter Amy Jo. Lowdown stars John Hawks as Joe, Elle Fanning as Amy Joe, Glenn Close as Amy's grandmother, and Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers as one of Joe's junkie jazz musician friends. It's an adaptation of a book written by the now grown Amy Joe called Lowdown, Junk, Jazz, and Other Fairy Tales from Childhood. The book details Amy Joe's childhood living with her brilliant, loving, and drug addicted father in Hollywood back in the 1960s and 70s. Our release, the film's soundtrack, features entries from jazz heavyweights such as Max Roach, Coleman Hawkins, and Thelonious Monk, original music by Ohad Talmor, and of course many tracks by Albany himself, including some intimate home recordings. It's a compilation that both jazz lovers and jazz neophytes will dig. For this podcast, Lita founder Matt Sullivan and I invited Amy Joe and Flea to the office to chat about the soundtrack, the film, and their shared experiences growing up in Los Angeles in the 70s with drug-addicted jazz musician fathers. Amy Joe was also kind enough to read us a few passages from her book. thought my father was born of music, some wayward melody that took the form of a man. He heard music everywhere, in the squeaking of rusted bed springs and buzzing of flies. Dripping faucets were filled with rhythms to him, as was the irregular flashing of the busted neon outside our window. Some shook their heads and thought he was a nut, but I never believed that. 
He'd play recordings of Art Tatum, Arthur Rubinstein, and others, and exclaim with flashing eyes, what a gas, beauteous. Sometimes we'd listen to records all night. When legit gigs weren't available, Dad did short stints in hotel bars, where his exquisite playing was often underappreciated, to say the least. It was always the same type who caused trouble. An out-of-town drunk with a tin ear, usually in the company of some flabby lounge whore. They'd stumble over to the piano, leaning on the keys, and say something like, How about using that soft pedal, pal? Or do you know this one? And proceed to whistle some corny number, spitting smelly off-tune whistles in Dad's ear. He'd take it on the chin every time, never uttering a word, but I who knew him would see his spirit wilt just behind the eyes. When I sensed his hurt, I'd imagine that I was the abominable Dr. Fibes, devising fiendish deaths for these barstool critics, or I'd transform into Rodin, grabbing my victims by their fat red necks with razor talons. I'd fly them to an underground vault where I, now the masked executioner, waited, ready to end the lives of fools and hecklers everywhere who didn't know beauty when they heard it.
know, just, just to start, um, uh, Albert Berger invited me to go to one of the screenings, and I didn't know anything about Lowdown other than Albert's involvement, and I wasn't familiar with Joe's music, and I immediately walked out blown away by the film wondering, like, where do I find Joe's music, and went to Amoeba as well as a few other places looking for, like, original copies of the records, and like the Riverside one from the 50s, and it was impossible to find, or tough to find, and I was kind of just dumbfounded how this guy who played, I mean, the music was incredible, and his, you know, story playing with Charlie Parker and Mingus and everybody else, and and the film and all, like how it was, uh, he was so off the radar, so, you know, it seemed to me, projects we are excited about, Light in the Attic, are these types of things of, like, shining a light on people that, you know, really deserve to have their music heard, and you know, I've just, again, really taken by the film. So I guess with, you know, maybe Amy to set it up, you could kind of explain to people listening who haven't maybe even seen the film or read your book of like, um, you know, maybe telling us, telling people a little about the book that sparked the movie. Oh, okay. I'll try to do it quick because it's such a long, try to condense 10 years into a few seconds. Um, well, I, I wrote the book about to 10 years ago. And um, a couple guys, Albert Berger and Ron uh, Zerka, showed up at um, the my, a book reading I had at Book Soup and thought that it should be a movie. And um, so they tried to get it made for a long, long time, and it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. And then it finally we got it together, and... Uh, got some great people involved in it you know like um some great actors and some just true believers you know like flea and um i think it needed that i think it needed some music people lovers to um make it happen somehow even just as far as the energy and uh yeah then this movie you know came out uh last year last year this year i don't know and um you know, and now the soundtrack is coming out, which I'm very excited about because I feel like the book and the soundtrack are it's such nice, like bookends um, to pay, you know, homage to my father, which is all I ever wanted to do really with the book, um, just to get his music out to people. Yeah, it's great. And what's you know your guys' story, Amy and, and Flea, is very. You, know, you guys have similarities in, in, in uh, you know, not how you came to the project, but just growing up here in Los Angeles. Maybe you guys could talk a little bit about that. Um, well, you know, Amy's story that she writes about and the movie's about and is, is uh, when I first read the script, it... It resonated with me so powerfully because it was so parallel to my own story, and we're like just the same age and grew up in the same town at the same time, doing the same stuff, both with drug addict jazz musician parents, and um, you know, there's so many similarities that pretty much every scene in the movie I relate to my life in one way or another of something like that happening. You know, more so with the book because I think the movie um, becomes more of a departure from your real life than in the book you know not that I mean it so captures it right but it's you know yeah, it's I pretty hard to make a movie exactly yeah. like your own life it's funny each each step in the, each creative process is um, kind of a step away from 
you know, a step away from reality or a different spin on reality or whatever reality is? I mean, I couldn't imagine having someone play me in a movie. And they would never come close. I mean, there's no uh -huh. way, no matter how much even you told them about your neuroses and your deepest thoughts and right. all that stuff. And Elle is beautiful in the movie. I think she does such a great job. Mm -hmm. But she's not you. You know what I mean? And yeah. even though, I, like, like, sometimes I'll like bio movies if they're about someone that I'm really fascinated with, even if it's a bad movie, even if I don't like sure. the actor. Like that Charlie Parker movie that Clint Eastwood movie made, I didn't like it. But the fact that it was about Charlie Parker, I had to see it. Right. You know, Spike Lee's movie about Malcolm X. I, I didn't really, you know, I, it was about Malcolm X. I had to see it. You know what I mean? The Basquiat movie. Like, all these movies of people that I admire a lot. Um, I, I, it's impossible. Like, like, they're talking, basically, it's a movie about that director and writer's relationship to something that, what they learned about the character. You know yeah. what I mean? About the person. It's not, it can never be, truly be. So, I, I meant for you, it must have made you, like, squirm in your pants, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Kind of, I kind of removed myself. I kind of, it's kind of a trick I earned like learned it's like it's a early thing? on. Yeah, you know, to just kind of almost take yourself out of it. Situations right. that are um, unusual to deal with, you know, and you're not sure how to process it, and you just kind of right. stand outside of it up in a nearby right. cloud or something and, and watch it happen. I don't know. So I, I kind of did that, but it's funny. I felt bad because I... Someone asked me, I did an interview with this Canadian jazz people a couple of days ago, and they said, what did you think about, you know, John Hawkes playing? And um, I said, I think he did kind of an amazing impersonation. Like, obviously, he saw the documentary. There was a documentary on my dad, and, and he really nailed, like, gestures. I, I said, but I think my dad would look at it and say, oh, you know, shit, I hope I'm... Like, not much of a drag all the time, you know, because he was super funny and like a right. real funny guy. Was it, and, well, the movie um, kind of concentrates on the sadder well, parts. Well, yeah, on the yeah. on the whole drug thing. Like it's yeah, like that's. that's I feel like that's the center, right? A, a little bit, but uh, not to discourage the, anyone seeing the movie. It's on Netflix now. Did you know that? Um, I knew it was on iTunes. Is on Netflix? Just, yeah, I just, I, don't get me wrong either. I think it's and, and I, I think it's a great movie. I love it. And like if I play. If I want anyone to see it, I'm so proud. To, like, whenever yeah. I meet someone that I really like and respect their taste in, like, literature, film, music, whatever, I get them a copy or I make sure they see it because I know that it, it's an important thing to see. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about, you know, no, it being about you. I mean, yeah. it's just so such a crazy thing. I mean, I, and I, I honestly believe that everybody involved with it, from, you know, the craft service person to Jeff, really wanted to honor you. Like, I don't know that. It was pretty bad craft service for me. Wasn't that bad? Well, was that... <laughs> Sorry if you're listening to this. <laughs> but, I mean, I know, like, for me, and, and, like, all I cared about was honoring yours and your father's legacy, you know, and, and how much it well, meant. Thank like, you, how, and it like, showed, I mean. But, like, how much it meant for me to, like, one, shine a light on jazz in L.A. in that time, mm. which was my whole life when I was a kid. Yeah. It was all like, it was like, it's still for me, it's like the holy grail of what, you know, what human beings could maybe do, you know, when right. they really At reach the for best. their higher selves, you know. Mm -hmm. But, like, they, if they were just, no one cared. You know, these guys, yeah. like, I grew up, it's funny because I was listening to the record today, and the part uh, 
What's the song when it's just your dad's? It's like a bunch of songs your dad's just singing and playing in, at home. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, everyone knew about me. Everybody knew, but everyone knew about me. So it's like that was. I just I put it on this one. It goes for like twenty minutes or something. And it was, that's what my house sounded like. You know, mm-hmm. I was walking around this morning. I was so comfortable and happy. I was like whipping up some eggs and icing my broken arm. And I, and I was just like, and I realized that it just felt like the best part of my childhood. Yeah. Like not the, the fucked up part, not like the violent drug part, right. but like the beautiful part, you but know? But then that's the thing, isn't it? That they live hand in hand. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, for us, one yeah. couldn't exist, I don't think, without the other. Yeah, somehow. does the beauty exist without the neuroses and the, and the pain? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that like human beings grow without pain. Period. Absolutely. No, I mean, I how do you know. you know beauty if you don't have anything to contrast it with? Yeah. Or art, or yeah. Anything. You love me. You long to be free. I thought that I was. For a while, there's I don't know if you know the pianist Freddie Red. Yeah, tell you, but he lived with us for like a, for a long time oh, at one really? point when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, he was around. Yeah, I tell you that, but but anyways, but he, you know, I remember like I'd get up in the morning to go to school, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, he'd be there at the piano with a joint in his mouth playing, you know, and just like being like, oh, like I was a kid, but I knew it was special. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I knew he was at like I knew I knew the French Connection or the, the no the Connection that movie the Connection. I knew those records. I knew how important he was. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I knew that this was like. Is this a part of a history that's not going to always be here? Like as a little kid, I knew it, and just like, and that's the feeling that I get when I listen to this slowdown record. Yeah. You know, it's oh, like, it's, I love it. You're, you're being recorded. You're being recorded. <laughs> It's hard for me to listen to some of it. Mm. That's where it comes in for me. Mm. It's funny, like not the movie. Everyone said, "Was it hard to when they were filming?" Not really, but because that's the reality. Like the music is the the pinnacle, is the absolute, the the essence of the reality. You know, mm. and um, it's very hard for me to listen to some of it. Yeah. Especially like my dad singing that one. I I listened to it for and I. I have to turn it off. Right. Yeah. Do you listen to studio it's, records? It makes me a little sad. Mm. I mean, there again, it's that combination. Like, it makes my heart just dance that he could do, you know. I'm right. just so happy that, that you know, um, man, I wish just a little bit of that rub off on me, you know, <laughs> that, that beautiful starlight brilliance. Yeah. But 
Um, I think it's all there. You just didn't want to be a musician. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Freud. (laughs) (laughs) Your book, though, is phenomenal. Well, I think you could be a total... Don't get me wrong, because I think you could be a total dope and be a good musician. You know, he's got to practice. Yeah, I don't think... I I, I don't buy the whole talent cosmic. Fuck that. Mm. I think, like, every time, like, at my music school, like, some, like, lady calls out, my grandkid is really showing talent, you know, to clarinet. Right. You know, I think she should take lessons. and great. But I just... I just think if you want to... If that's how you want to gear your life to, like, sacrificing all the other stuff to sit around and practice an instrument all the time, you're going to express the thing that's inside you and everyone's... I don't think one person's thing is more special than the next Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant... I mean, your dad got good at piano because he played piano like 80 hours a day. Oh, my God. Up to the very end, he practiced eight hours a day. Yeah, so... Practice, practice, practice. And always like... And very like, oh, why can't I get this left hand right? And always always reaching, right? Always reaching. Never stop. Yeah, you never seen a picture of Train without his horn, you know? Yeah. It's like... That's right. Except for that one at the Guggenheim, and I think he's holding it in his hand, and you Mm -hmm. can't see it. I mean, I saw jazz all the time in the 70s concert. I went to the Parisian Room. I went to Maiden Mm -hmm. Voyage. I went to... It was that place in New in Redondo Beach, the lighthouse. Lighthouse, yeah. Went to Dante's. I went to the the Carmelo. The, There's lots of weird little places yeah. there where you'd be great players. Kind of strange because I guess trying to find, you know, places yeah. to play. Be like, yeah. You know, I remember taking my dad to. He'd have gigs at like the, the airport Hilton, you know, and. Just a bunch of strange like people sitting around, you know, drunk. With, but, yeah. um, but I mean, it's great. You got to hear people play. I mean, yeah. But there were some. Yeah, you're right. There were some jazz clubs. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just go. Like even when I, I would go like to see my dad was with my stepdad. I'd go see him play, and like you know, your dad was about as famous as Madonna compared to my dad. Oh. <laughs> you know, what I mean, my dad like never even was like on one record in his life or something, but. But I remember like seeing him play with Philly Joe Jones at a pizza place on La Brea, That's you know, and, I, and he played <laughs> yeah. with Dizzy and stuff. But he just, you know, he could never. Right. And I think to an extent, like a lot of jazz musicians, I mean, there's, at that time especially, mm-hmm. you know, so many of these guys grew up in a time where jazz culturally was the coolest thing, like even in a youth culture kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you don't forget, like, in the like, you know, early 60s, like, Minkus was in gossip columns and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was cool. Yeah. It was like kids wanted to be bohemian and be cool and be into jazz. Even if they were faking it, they wanted to act like they were into it. Right. And so... It, it was it, part it, of a whole milieu that included, like, literature that, like, it was all geared towards that that was a good thing. Yeah. You know, that those were good things that you aspired to as young people yeah. and that they were... You know, and I don't know exactly where that got lost, but that's very true. That was still really part of the... Yeah, so I mean, so, so, I mean, so a lot of guys like in the 70s, like, coming up, they were not only aspiring to, like, you know, join this pantheon of, like, these absolute genius geniuses, like the bebop innovators and, and stuff, but also they, you know, they were going to have a career, and they were going to be cool and have to be respected and be, like, a serious artist in the world, like, do something noble. Mm-hmm. And come the 70s, no one gave a shit. Like, you said, they couldn't get a fucking gig. Joe Albany, one of the great jazz pianists of all time, is playing at the airport Hilton to make rent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and like, so... And that was, you know, that's what I grew up with. And, and, and like, for me, it's like, you know, my dad fixed cars in the backyard, and, you know, he was just couldn't make a buck. And he was a really great player, you know? 
But it's just so, I don't know, for me, like the movie, it was such an important thing just that it was about that time, you know. And like all those jazz guys, like I was just around them all the time. Those were the guys, you know. Mm -hmm. Amy, you told us a funny story about how you met Flea. Oh, he doesn't remember it now. Yeah, I do remember it. Hey, now, oh, you're just being, you remember No, no, I do remember it. It's vague, no, but I remember it. Oh, do okay. <laughs> yeah, you prodded my memory. <laughs> no, I was just in, I was at Mayfair Market, which now, what's something else on? Um, Gelson's maybe? Gelson's, oh yeah. Franklin and Bronson. Yep, yep. I told you I got beat up in that Mayfair one yes. time, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot happening for you in that <laughs> Mayfair. I went to all, that was my market. You were there, and I think you were there with, um, I think you were with Hillel, really. Is that possible? You were Very there with possible. a friend anyway, and... Yeah. He started. Uh, yeah, he started following me around. I was with my aunt Dolly, my dad's kid sister. Well, she wasn't a kid, and she was freaking out because this guy and and he was being loud about it. She's I like, was? look at that girl, look at that girl, and, and she's like, whoa, and she's pushing her cart like faster down the aisles, and <laughs> it was. I did not say, look at that girl. You did. You were weird. It was like I wasn't <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> you did, and you're like, hi, I, I have a new band, you know, called like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and we're playing at the Palace, and do you want to come see us? And and I was like, I knew who he, he was. I saw him actually play with Fear at the Whiz. I don't know the Whiskey. Did you ever play with them there? I don't know. So you played with them. So anyway, so. Um, he ran around looking for a pen I like the part that I paper. hit on you at the market. I don't like the part of being loud and weird. No, you weren't weird. You weren't weird. You were whispering loud, but right behind us. <laughs> it was funny. And then um, I took my number and said, I'm going to put you on the guest list. I'm like, okay. And that was it, and I didn't see him for a long time after that. <laughs> I didn't go. Auditory Blasters Club was a group of four nerds in my school who collected records of a certain sort, made tapes for one another, and had listening sessions at each other's homes on the weekends. Though a no girls allowed was one of their strict credos. If loving music was the main prerequisite for joining, then I should have been a shoe-in. My one defining interest at age 13 was collecting records. Everything from work songs live from Angola prison and the Stooges Funhouse the Pal Joey soundtrack. Besides, I was Princess Bebop, as Dad called me, born of royal musical heritage, daughter of the legendary Joe Albany. My ear was finely trained and my veins flowed with the bluest, most melodious blood. However, their other rule, you need to have a killer sound system to join, posed a problem for me. The club was apparently as much about the equipment as the music. These were all rich boys, all living in the Los Feliz Hills, all with giant Morant speakers and stacks of imposing electronics crammed into pleasant rooms with the obligatory rock poster and black lights. They looked down their noses at the kids who did drugs like good little boys. Rick, the most human of them, managed to convince the others to overlook my serious lack 
of Noisy Gadgets, and I was invited to sit in on one of their sacred sound sessions. While listening to their rather dull ideas about what constituted great rock, I began to notice that they all had abnormally large Adam's apples and wondered if it was indigenous to the area they lived in or if it was a symptom of too much exposure to overly produced music or excessive money. After suffering through Dark Side of the Moon and Layla, which appeared to be a religious experience for them, I remarked that Dark Side was as overrated an album as they come, that Eric Clapton was a boring guitarist. His Yardbird stuff doesn't hold a candle to Beck's or Page's, I contended, in my overbearing manner. I told you girls were hopeless, said group leader Dave. Rick looked at me, crestfallen and betrayed. Do all of you agree on everything, I asked. Some things are beyond criticism, said wise Dave, as the others nodded in agreement, their Adam's apples sliding up and down their pimply pencil necks. Boys, so utterly righteous and ridiculous. I'd have no part of them for as long as I could help it. jump back to the, the book, Amy. What are some of your favorite moments from the book that didn't make it in the movie? I mean, there's so, so many. There's so... There's a... There's a lot. Some of them we shot and it didn't make it in the edit and some we just didn't, you know, shoot. It's very hard. I never realized condensing and that's a short book <laughs> but still, it's a lot of vignettes and you obviously can't have everything. Um... One of the more joyful kind of moments, those are the things that I and I wish would have made. I mean, we had we filmed Jump the Bum, but it didn't make it in the cut. Um, that's just a scene in the movie. Um, I mean, in the book. It's not in the movie. Um, Maybe you could explain what Jump the Bum is for people. That it sounds know. kind of cruel. I feel kind of badly, but... Well, you're a kid. <clears throat> yeah, I'll use that as an excuse. Yeah, no. True. No, it's true. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, it was kind of hard up to, for entertainment sometimes. and um, But there were always these bums that lived outside of the St. Francis Hotel where I was living with my dad and my friend LaPrez, and I would jump over them and, like, see who could jump over them until they got mad and got up and, like, kind of swiped, chased you away. And so it was just about that, but it doesn't sound... I can't... Ex- it sounds Explain things very kid well. Stuff. It's just kid stuff. Yeah. Normal kid stuff. L.A. kid stuff. L.A. kid stuff. Yeah. Um, could, oh, could be a lot worse. There were so many things. I mean, like, I don't know. I'd have to kind of thumb through the book. A lot of it more would have just been uh, moments between, like, Amy and, you know, Joe... Uh, that were happy moments, which if there's there's a lot and funny, funny moments. Yeah, from the book, it seems like his sense of humor comes out a lot more. Yeah, he was and very there's funny. There's parts of the movie of that, but you know, the movie, as you guys said, focuses a little more on the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it like when you guys were living over there? 
Was it really like just the two of you mm -hmm. all the time? Well, there, I mean, uh, Graham lived on Wilton. Yeah. So, you know, and then I went and moved with her yeah. after that. But How much, what, how long of a period of, and a half a time was it just you and your dad at the... Not so much. It was off and on. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he'd go, go away, and, yeah, and then he'd come back, and so, um, but I mean, I would give him, like, he would certainly try when he was around mm -hmm. to try to do mm -hmm. the, you know, dad when, thing. When, when he was around, would you try to get him into music that you liked, like Bowie and... and oh, when I was... Um, he, uh, yeah, he wouldn't... Some... Would he go for Bowie? He would go for Bowie a little bit. I mean, I was so enamored, too, I think, and I tried to carry this through with my own children, you know, um, is that if he saw that you were really enthusiastic about music, he, he would, like, he just wanted to nurture that, you know. I mean, he knew that he'd obviously exposed me, to, and I kind of had that in my arsenal, you know, but he was... You sort of that's that reflective joy when you see your kid yeah. enjoying music. Yeah. Like you don't even hear if it's crap. It's like. <laughs> yeah, but but was it, right. would you think? But like outside of you, would you think that your dad was a jazz snob? Uh, like 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 pretend like in a, in a way that because a lot of the, the older jazz guys that I met when I was a kid mm. were really down on rock music. Like they were just like these guys are a joke. Like, you know, they don't know how to play. They never learned. It took the well, time to learn how if to he, play. He'd have to find something in it. Like, I remind, remember so clearly driving with him once in the Stones coming on. Uh -huh. Jumping Jack Flash. Uh -huh. And he just kind of like getting in, like grooving with it <laughs> and saying, I can, I get, like, I get it. Yeah. Like, I don't. It's just R&B. Right. I, mean, I don't you know. like it, but they're like, I can get how they, like, you want to move to the, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. was always, because he could be very visceral, too. Like, right. it wasn't all. Was he bitter? Intellectual. No, no, he wasn't bitter. I would never say that he That's was cool. bitter. No. There's a great scene in the movie where you bring him to the, uh, your boyfriend's oh, yeah. practice oh. space, mm -hmm. which is a really intense scene, but your dad watching your boyfriend's you know teenage pretty rough like rock band right and he's trying to kind of get into it and it's some pretty kind of funny face facial <laughs> expressions yeah, yeah yeah but still being nice yeah, yeah being, no yeah, he, he always supportive. wanted to I mean he yeah. loved you know he loved music so I think that was the overall we'd go to a Thai restaurant you know and he'd be like oh it sounds like bird like, it would be like, you know, the uh -huh. lady singing the Thai yeah, music yeah. and stuff like that. So he was just like his ear, like, all the time. I feel like he was like a bird, like, always mm. trained on sounds, you know? So cool. Also, you're, uh, the scene where um, he comes back from Europe and you're all sitting at the dinner table with your mm -hmm. boyfriend as well, or the character played by your boyfriend, and um, Flea's, Flea shows up and your grandma asks, you know, who do you or, or Hobbs who do you like and you talk yeah. about Max Roach yeah that was yeah. fun because that scene that was, was really all scene. improvised yeah. like, there was a written scene but it lasted for about a minute they didn't use any of it yeah it was all improvised just talking about jazz yeah. and stuff And no that that was the greatest thing that Flea brought was his real love and knowledge of jazz to that movie so that he could improvise things I, one of my favorite things is when he's showing Amy the records saying you know and that was his uh, hero and he died young too and I mean like that was all just 
came from real, you know. And Hobbs was a character that was kind of a, a few people in your dad's yeah, life. A kind of, couple. Yeah. He was a couple of musicians that my dad knew. Uh, um, a trumpet player and just a friend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, I you know, obviously I'm a big jazz fan. Um, but when Amy described me the character, I mean, I took every little thing that she said, you know, to heart and went to the apartment where he lived and walked around in it and felt it. But more than anything, like I said, I, I grew up with guys like Hobbs in my house all the time. You know what I mean? Like just guys that didn't have a gig that really loved music and cared about playing and all they did was play and their life revolved around it. And, you know, the world was just shitting in their birthday cake, you know. <laughs> and um, so it was, it was, it was, a, that, it meant so much to me to play a part like that, you know, and to try to give, make it not just be like a pathetic junkie guy, but a guy that really cared, you know. No, um, yeah, you definitely feel yeah. that. And, and I, I just thought of you right away, I mean, for that part. I was so, that was so cool. No one did thought of anyone else. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe talk a little bit, if you guys don't mind, some of the music on the soundtrack. I really think it's a beautiful mix of, you know, Joe's music and people that were around at the time. Any other it favorite really tracks? is. It really is. It's like, I think it's so great. It's so, it's like a zen, you know, it just has this beautiful... Um, flow to it. Flow to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, especially considering right? it kind of jumps around yeah. between different styles and different guys. I know, but it they works all feel... Yeah, it flows so well, you know, because it, it has like, you know, like from like Ohad's thing, which is like a new piece by Ohad, you know, to, to um, you know, your dad's stuff off your dad's studio records. And yeah. I mean, my favorite thing is the, your dad just sitting there singing and playing. Oh, yeah. Because I guess, and, and only just because, like, a lot of the other stuff, I, I you know, it's Coleman Hawkins and Jack Teagarden and Max Roach and stuff that I've heard, mm-hmm. you know. But the stuff, like, I, of, the, of your dad sitting there playing it, feel like I feel, you know, everybody knew but me, I feel like I'm peeping in. I'm, like, eavesdropping in on a right. really magical moment, you know, yeah. that, that someone really wouldn't put on a record because they wouldn't be, they'd be more uptight if they were making a record and they'd prepare arrangements and do all this stuff. And you and, know, that was like the only thing on a big box of just reel-to-reel tapes I had uh-huh. when my oh, dad really? died. And it was like a usable, you know. Uh-huh. He would record it on a reel-to-reel at home? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. A lot, yeah, always. Oh, so cool. You still have a lot of them? Um, I have a box of them, yeah. Wow, I love to hear those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that is that recording is great. It's so just genuine. Yeah. It does feel like you're in the room. It's great, and yeah. the Lush Life, the Lush Life, which is in the you know in the, the film too. It's a great version of Lush Life. Your dad that, does. That that Lush Life, and I feel funny. It's my dad. I feel like I'm just saying it, but to, I'm, I don't know how this came to me, but I was just thinking that it's like. It's like getting on a magic carpet and going through like a garden that's like just overgrown with wildflowers. Like you almost can't get through it and you're just like, and that's what that feels like to mm-hmm. me. I know it sounds weird. But...
I sometimes accompanied my dad to jam sessions that took place in the houses and bungalows, even one penthouse, of musicians and jazz fans all over Hollywood. It wasn't always as exciting as it may sound. Unless we were in the home of our friends Stan and Ellie, the atmosphere was usually not kid-friendly. On many occasions, I was greeted by some too cool character groaning shit show, did you have to bring the kid? To which Dad would simply say, fuck you, not being one to mince words. In the end, they'd tolerate me because they knew they were fortunate to have Dad and his talent there to make them look good. These evenings sometimes deteriorated into enormous circle jerks. There were so many large egos awaiting their climax and the inevitable eight-bar solo that the room could barely contain them. When Dad played at these jam sessions, I would plant myself near the piano and marvel along with everyone else at his flying fingers and stomping feet. He was very physical, like Monk in his approach. Dad liked to sit high above the keyboard. Even at six feet, he would often put a phone book on the bench in order to get on top of things. Sometimes, when he really got going, he'd grunt and groan, which posed a problem for one French recording engineer when they got into the studio. He sweated profusely, and I thought, gave the piano dirty looks as he played. I'd always wish that he was playing solo, and I was right on the bench next to him listening to Wait Till You See Her or some other favorite song. He tended to covet his devotion to music. I only know he preferred playing solo and that he worshipped the music of Ellington, Arlen, Strayhorn, and others excessively, to the detriment, perhaps, of his own songwriting potential. Yeah, it's, it's so like like the the melody on it. You really feel the song. But he's, his he's, whole soul is always just right out there, like in the. Yeah. It's so colorful and so yeah, like beautiful and melancholy, but still like totally wild and joyous too. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I mean, it, melancholy. Um, even from when I was a little kid, uh, you know, and always putting on the right combination, um, angel eyes. Yeah. Well, Warren Marsh on, on that one plays really beautifully too. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just, but it's so. I remember even from thinking that it, there was something so be, beyond it being beautiful, something kind of ominous. It felt ominous to me. No, like, it is. It's it's it's, it's a, and it's just so like it almost frightened me, but it yeah. would rivet me. Yeah. You know, because it was so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. I love that. Yeah, and that that recording also. Ha- to me, it has that feeling too. Like it's just not like a record. Like it has a feeling, even though the, the sound quality is better. But it has a feeling of like a home recording. It's super. Well, relaxed. What's in the guy's living room? Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, the... it feels like that. It feels so. <laughs> but he was intimate, a recording engineer, you know? but it was in his living room. Yeah. Right. Because this is when guys get in the studio, especially like and they've got like these studio cats in there, and everyone's on the clock, and you're paying the engineer, and right. you got to get it done, and you prepare before, or maybe you're not prepared enough, and you're nervous, or. Whatever, you know what I mean? It's always, especially for a jazz musician who's not like getting some big zillion dollar budget to take all the time they want. Right. You know, it's a big deal to go in the studio. So that, that yeah, it's beautiful. When they, rec- you know, just record really? just in the guy's living room and it's so cool. And, you know, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure my dad told me that 
the, I think it was the engine. He was just like play. He played brushes like on pillows, you know. Oh, really? Too. Wow. And just like, you know. Is there? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Snifty. Great to see some of the photos. Yeah, yeah. I mean they're just little funky oh, black cool. and white fading photos. Put on the blog or something. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really cool. I'll get them to you. Uh, do you guys want to tell us anything about your current stuff? Are you guys Amy? You, doing any writing? You talk to please <laughs> current uh, creative endeavor. We, we need to give you writing again. Your, yeah. your, your book is just phenomenal. Oh, thank you so much. That's it very really nice. It really is. It's been really hard. I bet. To go back to writing? I have to say this, not that to interpret, I know I'm interpret this the wrong way, but the experience, a lot of the, kind of like scared rabbit me off from you know, I just need to like get over it and move on and mm. get writing. I bet writing something not as um, intimately autobiographical yeah. would feel mm. completely different. You know? yeah. yeah. I love this the idea you were talking about, about the girls in Hollywood in the 70s, like during uh, uh, Night Stalker time. Yeah, the, the Hillside Strangler. Hillside Strangler. Pre not Night Stalker, yeah. yeah. You're not supposed to talk about that? No, no, go oh. ahead. I'm, oh, no, I mean, it's your thing. I just remember you telling me yeah, about it. No, it's a I great know. idea. I know, I think... Um, I mean, I remember walking around at that time, and I hitchhiked right? everywhere yeah, in Hollywood when I was so a kid. So did I, I, I was, know. I was a master hitchhiker. I had techniques that were up and beyond. Really? Like, I was getting I in the fucking car. I about that sometimes. If you stopped at a stoplight and I was at 100 feet, I was getting in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I went up the cars, I opened the door and started talking. Oh, man. I yeah. know, when I think of this stuff, like right from, right from Hollywood High. I was like a cute high. little kid. If you were a gay man, I was getting in. Oh, yeah. Really? Boy. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I knew my, I knew, I knew my market. Son? I knew my demographic. Yeah. Well, I remember just jumping into cars, too, like that, and sitting like, what am I sitting on? Like, oh, sitting on this guy's, like, porno magazine. Yeah. yeah. It's probably not a good idea to yeah. be in this car right now. But, yeah. but you could always jump out. You could always bail. That was always the thing. You kind of were always yeah. very aware of where you were and that the door was unlocked and yeah. that you were, you know. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a whole so this thing. might be your next book. Yeah, maybe. Sounds mm. awesome. Well, thank you for that photo conference. <laughs> Sounds like a good book and a good potential movie. No, no, I don't know movies. <laughs> I'm a big fan of movies, but I don't know about that. Right. That's too fun. That's too weird. They read unless I uh, directed my own movie. I'm, Ooh. Direct your own movie? Wow. <laughs> Why not? Why not? You act like it's such a big. You should. God. You could do it. I'm. You know, anyone could do it. Yeah. Okay, what's next? Flea, any current Flea? projects? My current project is trying to, to heal my arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I broke my arm really badly three months ago, and I'm just almost at the point where I can play again. I'm making a Chili Pepper record. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's been good because I'm, I'm writing a book also, and, uh, a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been... Since I've been like the last since I'm not on Oxycontin anymore and I can think straight, <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing a lot, and um, I'm, I'm going to enlist Amy to help me. That's going to be a stuff. hell of a book. I'm just saying. Yeah, no pressure. I do really enjoy writing. If I like, I'm just been doing it all pen to paper. You know, mm-hmm. no typewriter, no computer, and that's been fun. And I have been playing trumpet a lot, like every day, which is cool. good. One-handed like, trumpet. Right? One-handed trumpet. Yeah. Wow. And that's been really fun. Like to to. Yeah. Because I, I stopped playing. Like I didn't play for three years or something, and then Lowdown came up, and I started practicing again to play for Lowdown, and then I haven't played since. And now I'm practicing every day because it's the only instrument I can play. And um, that's been a love. real 
fun thing. What? Your first love. It was my first love. Mm. Yeah, so I've been doing that and, um, you know, uh, making up funny stories in my head. Hopefully the book has a uh, hitchhiking chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I never thought about that, but I really, like, I did have it down to a science in the 70s. You've got it, yeah. Because from when I was, like, I was a street kid from when I was, like, 12. Yeah. And I just, you know, you figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to Hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah. guys, thank you so much for being here and doing this. Thanks it's so really much. special. I mean, this is a very special project to us, the movie, the soundtrack. Can't Your dad's like you see the book and the whole thing. So it's a joy, it's really. Yeah, the music ju- is always a joy. And just in closing, I, I just I think that like, or for me in closing, anyways, um, that you know I, I feel like I'm have small enough a part in the film that I'm able to remain pretty objective about it, and I just think it's an absolutely beautiful film. You know, I cry every time I see it. Like it, it, it means so much to me that movie to be a part of it. Like. Um, to be a part of something that, that's just so human and, and so unique and, and captures a period of time that I don't think has ever been captured in film before. Um, the, the cultural impact of it is, is, I think, is really profound. And obviously, it's not for everybody. It's not a um, popcorn, uh, you know, new Mad Max movie or anything. But um, it's a really special, beautiful film. And, and I, I think that it has, a, it has a timeless quality that will, you know, it will live for a long time. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Us too. Well said. Any last? No, I can't say anything? anything after that. That's right. beautiful. Thank you. And um, no, just, just, that's, I mean, I hope, uh, I can't wait for the soundtrack. Some cities have a particular season that best defines them, and for Los Angeles, I always felt that it was rain. Most striking was how differently things sounded when filtered through the thick haze that would come in late June and stay through September. As a kid, I spent many summer afternoons with my head out the window, listening to Sly Stone being played on some distant cheap stereo, along with the loud, lazy conversations of of end-of-their-rope mothers and the sound of babies wailing in many languages, their cries rarely answered. Plastic wading pools meant for two or three sat in the middle of Hollywood courtyards, at least six wild kids piled into each, while neighbors looked on from behind broken screen doors, and cats sat on top of rusted-out VWs on lawns of long-dead, overgrown grass. My passion was for summer showers. Dad said my love of the rain came from being conceived and born on rainy days. To me, the smell of rain-wet pavement was sweeter than that of any flower. I'd lie out on the fire escape, looking straight up at the sky's end, trying to see the rain's origin, watching it fall in seemingly slow motion, perfectly silent and true holy water. On the street below, shirtless boys skateboarded down slippery sidewalks with long, wet locks sticking to their backs, beautiful as statues. Then there were the old people who hung out at the bus stops, never going anywhere, just sitting on the benches, watching. These ancient sentinels were a mystery to me. Who were they? Had they been radicals or jewel thieves? 
Now they only sat at the Hollywood and Western or Hollywood and Vine bus stops, toothless, forlorn, with wet newspapers held over their withered heads, too old and tired to enjoy the rain. The summer showers never lasted long, but when they did come, I felt that life held possibilities and I'd find myself almost believing in something. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and many thanks to the bright and magical Amy, Joe, and Flea for stopping by. The Lowdown soundtrack is now available for purchase on vinyl, CD, or MP3 at lightintheattic.net, and we have Amy Joe's book for sale as well. As a thank you to our listeners, we're offering 10% off of the book and the soundtrack. Head to lightintheattic.net slash releases slash 1930 to order your discounted copy. That's lightintheattic.net slash releases slash 1930. I'm Jackie Allen. See you next time. <laughs>